Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 down to 24. The Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God have formed out of the ground all the beasts of the fields and all the best of the air. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the, the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had the taken out of the man. He brought her to, to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. And she was taken, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, the man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Praise the Lord. It's wonderful to be here again this morning to share with you, and I'm so grateful to the leadership of the church for giving Family Life a whole month to bring to the congregation, the body of Christ, certain important teaching and scriptures, doctrine, that we need to repeat and reiterate from time to time, lest we shift or derail our faith, or as scriptures say, make shipwreck of our faith and marriages. So this morning, we are so grateful to the senior pastor and his team, but their passion for family life and giving us that opportunity. Shall we pray? But I thank you that, Lord, we are still under construction. Indeed, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. As we delve deep into your word and drink of it and eat that which you give us, we become stronger in faith. We become stronger in our conviction. And Lord, as we renew our minds, we are totally transformed. It is my prayer this morning that as you speak to all of us, including myself, we will accept that which is your word. For your word is indeed life, truth, and powerful. That our minds will be renewed totally and will thereby be transformed. I come that you may empty me and speak. Indeed, you are my strength. You are the source of my life. And this morning I lift my hands in praise to you that you may speak in Jesus' name. Amen. We have our theme for this year that we should shine. As a church, we should shine so that our God in heaven will be glorified. This acronym stands for our spirituality, that in our spirituality, in our holiness, in our integrity, nationalism and evangelism, we will shine forth to the rest of the world and bring glory to God and draw men and women from darkness into light. It is our family life theme this year that you and I as individuals should be the light of our homes so that our families will shine. We should be what? The light of our homes so that our families will shine. We have chosen a topic that often can get murky and it has to do with the biblical foundation of marriage in answering the question, what is Christian marriage? And we hear all sorts of things everywhere. I was surprised checking it up in Google, what they would say there. I knew what I wanted to say, but I just wanted to know what they are saying out there too. Because God says we should be careful, we do not follow and conform to the pattern of the world. And I wanted to know what the pattern of the world is. 
And you know what they said? They said it is a legally or formally recognized union of two people, only two people, as partners in a personal relationship. Then they go on to say, historically and in some jurisdictions, specifically between a man and a woman. Hey, I need a lawyer to interpret that to me. Historically, it means now they, we, they, they, have, they have assigned us to history. We believers, we that God assigned the word of God to, they have assigned our truths, our doctrine to history and are telling us that in this day and age, hey, marriage is something else. It's between two persons and they can be any two persons. It could be male, male. It could be female, female. I dare say that if you continue on this path, very soon they will say it could be two animate objects. So it could be a male, a human being, and an animal. And I hear it started elsewhere. But scriptures teach us that Christian marriage is the union between a man and a woman instituted by God in a lifelong relationship, a lifelong relationship between one man as a husband and one woman as a wife. That which we believe in is between a man and a woman, and it's one man and one wife. Sometimes I go to places and when I introduce myself, then I add that I have, a, I have one wife, and then they laugh, and I, I deliberately make that emphasis because it could mean differently elsewhere. But before I go on straight to talk about Christian marriage, I just want to bring our minds to the fact that in our nation, Ghana, we have different types of marriages. We have what we call the Muslim marriage, which is governed or regulated by the Quran and the Islamic faith. And then we have the traditional or customary marriage, which is governed by the custom more especially the custom of the wife, the woman. And then thirdly, we have the marriage under the ordinance. These three marriages are here in our nation. And oftentimes there's this confusion between us Christians who also are born into a certain culture and tradition where we wonder whether our Christian faith contradicts our culture or our culture contradicts our faith. I only say that let God be true and let man be the liar. If anything in our culture or tradition is contradictory to the faith, then as Christians, we ought to put it away. Nevertheless, God gave birth to us, created us in a certain context. And we ought to uphold as much as possible that contest that makes us unique among others, that makes us special and brings us together as a people. So there's some part of our traditions and culture that are wonderful. And you look through scripture, you see a number of times the, the cultures of people being displayed in ceremonies and still in worship to God. So I will go on to be mentioning one or two of these things to show where we agree and, and, and conform to culture and also where the, we have, we, we, we part ways. But before we go on to, let me say that Christianity is not a white man's religion. Neither is it a Western religion, as many people speak of the white people or the Europeans or the Americans or wherever, including the Jews, all received Christianity and at one time struggled to accept it. When Jesus came to the Jews, they did not accept him for who he was. His teachings were strange to them. It did not conform to the traditions that they, were, they knew about. So oftentimes, they looked at him and said that this man has come to upset our system. And for that reason, eventually, 
they planned and got rid of him by crucifying him. So the Western world also struggled. They also practiced witchcraft. They also practiced all sorts of traditions. They burned people on the sticks. And they went a long way, embraced Christianity, adulterated parts of it, and then now they seem to even reject the whole thing totally. These days, it looks as if we Africans are the ambassadors of Christ to the rest of the world. And that is why we should keep hammering on the truth and upholding it because there are coming the last days where strange doctrine will be preached and we will be people who have to hold on to the faith, hold on to the faith so that God will use us in this world. What is biblical Christian marriage? The scriptures give us so many verses. I'm going to run through some of them for us to capture the general mind of God, the teaching of the Bible. All this is cool to govern it before I come to do my exposition on it. Number one, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. And Genesis, Genesis 2, 18 downwards, as you just read, makes it clear to everyone that marriage itself is God-ordained. It's God who instituted it. It is it's not an idea of any family or any two lovers or any tradition or any nation or any church. It is God's own idea. Man didn't come to God and tell him, I want a wife, I want a husband. It was God's idea and plan. And he had a purpose. He had something in mind. There was a reason why he designed marriage. There was a goal for it. And so when we pursue this marriage without consideration for what God designed it to be, we are going amiss. I always liken it to somebody who has gone to buy a car and thinking that I have my money and I have chosen to buy this car. So I can use it the way I like it. So you go and buy this Tico or what do they call it? My car, one of those things. And then you choose to convey cement blocks or, or cement bags with it. You agree with me that it's not going to last. It has not been designed to carry that weight. In the same vein, you don't go and get pickup. And then you put a couple behind it and say, that is your wedding limousine. They are going to, of course, until death do they part, but they don't want to part so quickly just from the, from the, from the church room. They are going to just topple over the bucket and die. It wasn't designed for human beings to sit at the back there in the bucket. Up to today, some people do not understand that that bucket is not meant for human beings. And they don't even sit in, but they sit at the edge. It's the same way we carry on with our marriages. That we don't seem to be aware of what we should do. And we do something repeatedly. And everybody goes along with it. And we think it's normal. Scripture says it's divinely instituted. So we don't seek wisdom from any God or ancestor or any source for how it should be done, except the scriptures. And then in Genesis 5, 1, 2, and also in Genesis 1, 26, as you read, God made us male and female and said, be fruitful, go and multiply. He, the, 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 the idea of marriage is for ma between male and female. It's just so clear. And we don't have to even read before Nature itself tells us naturally, as we observe, that it's only male and female who should come together as one in love. It doesn't work. So you can just go and do any surgery, but can you lay eggs as a, if you are a woman who are, a man who has made yourself a woman? Can you, can you, can you, can you, can they ovulate, doctor? They can't. They can put a baby inside you and then do CS and take it out. But you cannot ovulate. You are not a woman. And the person who has made herself a man too cannot produce sperms. 
So you are not a man. Those two things are basic to define who a man and a, a woman is. So you can have, go and put anything to hang in between, excuse me, your legs. It does not change who you are. It does not change God's original design and plan. As we often do, we do with cars. We import cars, then we will change the engine and put another engine in. We will change the uh, chassis and put another one. We change the thing and when the person who designed the car sees it, they can't recognize it except their logo, they are this in front, that this is Nissan or Toyota. It is so strange. That is what we are doing to marriages. Second Corinthians 6.14 tells us that it should be in the Lord. In other words, two Christians, it was designed for two believers. You see, when God proclaimed marriage at that time, he had a design in his mind that these two people were going to follow his construction, uh, instruction. They were going to follow him from that day onwards for his guidance, his teaching, his empowerment. It's not to say that, so are you telling me that unbelievers should not marry? Those who are not Christians, they will marry. But what it means is that if two believers marry, they are like, they are the ones who are going to have the total, the kind of fulfillment that God designed the marriage for. They are going to enjoy it the way it was designed for. They are going to be as fruitful as it was planned by God. In the same way that you can take a recipe and do it your own way, not according to that. It may be edible. You may not even have running stomach. But it's never going to taste like the original. So when people sell their franchise, KFC, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, there's some part of their product that they keep a secret. You go and put the building, they do everything. But that one, they just supply you. There has to be some consistency that when you taste of McDonald's or KFC in Ghana, it should be the same as in Nigeria and US and Canada. That is God's plan. So it doesn't matter whether you are Chinese. It doesn't matter whether you are African. It doesn't matter whether you are an American. It doesn't matter your culture. It works if you follow scripture. And why is it that it says a Christian should not marry an unbeliever? It was a question I myself asked when I wasn't a Christian. I said, oh God, God's plan is not uh, progressive. It's not marketing enough. Let the men go and marry the unbelievers and bring them to the fold. That's what many people say. Just bring them. So some tend to believe that uh, marriage is an evangelistic strategy. But <laughs> when you read the scriptures, that is not an evangelistic strategy. It is a sure way to get into trouble marrying someone who does not share your faith. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Have you seen footballers who are playing as a team and they can't communicate they pass the ball and the other person says, ah, I didn't know it was me. And they start quarreling. You should have passed it directly. And then they say, no, you should have run into the space. They do not share the same thing. One person says, I will be the only one who will score the goal. The other person too says, I will be the only one who will score the goal. If they do not have one mind, are they really going to make the team win? They are going to fight. We see it all the time around us. That when people are not agreed, they are not able to move forward. And when Christ asks certain questions that do not be unequally yoked. I mean, Paul in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Do not be unequally yoked with the unbeliever. Then he started putting some questions. For what has darkness to do with light? What has righteousness to do with righteousness? What has the temple of God to do with the temple of idols? What He didn't just say, what do they have to do with it? They used certain words. What agreement, what harmony, what um, union. Those words are the very words that when someone comes to sit in front of me and says, Pastor, I think I'm fed up. I want to divorce. And I ask, why? Then it starts coming. There's no agreement in this marriage. Everybody does what they like. We are not partners. Who, we are just like tenants of the same house. He lives there and I live there and everybody does. 
We cannot talk for one minute without a quarrel and insult. There's no harmony. The very words the scripture uses, the very thing that each one of us desire in a relationship, harmony, agreement, partnership, that union, that bonding, that will make us enjoy the relationship. Scripture is telling us that it will surely be absent or difficult to sustain if a believer marries an unbeliever. Of course, scriptures know that Baham is some of us who do what we like. Then people will be married as unbelievers and one of them will end up becoming a believer. So it teaches also that if it happens that your spouse is an unbeliever, do not sack the person. If only he or she is willing, willing to stay. A person willing to stay with somebody who is consistent. So you, the person who is a Christian, then your life should be shining. It should be glowing. It should be on fire. And if your life is on fire, if you are consistent in scripture and the person is willing to stay, more likely the person's heart is inclined to receive God's word eventually. People who are not willing, they will start resisting, they will start fighting, and they will leave. So he says, if the person says they will leave, let them go. But their ability to endure, to tolerate, to wait, to go through some long suffering, despite the fact that they do not understand what you are doing and they are in disagreement, means there is hope. So with prayer and drawing the person into the fellowship, they are more likely to do what? To believe. So that is it. But for those who are yet to marry, it is a no-no-go area. And at the end of that passage, Christ says that, so come out of them. Come out that I may bless you. So you see, the full blessings of marriage are not received when we have this kind of union. And many come to testify after years of marriage. Pastor, I know I, I made a mistake. I know he's an unbeliever. But at the time they were marrying, they thought they were so sure they were two Christians. So the scripture says that. Then it goes on to say that it's forbidden with idolatries. People who worship idols. Because you cannot worship one God and the person worships another God. You are not likely to have any form of agreement. So it's not to take place between a Christian and idolaters. And the verses are there. So you have ample time to read and get the message straight from the scripture. It's forbidden to contract with near relations. That is someone who is a brother or a sister, blood, what we call blood mismiss. Eh? You call it mismiss. The scientists will tell us, the doctors will tell us that it's got some physiological um, problems. Eh? They can end up having children that are challenged and handicapped. But apart from that, there are other issues that we are brothers and sisters inheriting the same person we are married. When the marriage breaks down, the family breaks apart down. There's so much, if you think of it, if you deliberate and think of it, you realize that it, it is just not a wise thing. And it's not done in most places. Scriptures about that. You'll be interested to know that most of these things the ordinance married oppose, and our traditions also oppose. I don't know of, of, I mean, I know many traditions about that you marry a close relative. Others do. Others, uh, if the man dies, uh, the, father, the brother inherits everything, including what? The wife. But, some cultures don't. So some cultures agree with the faith. But the ordinance agrees that the law of the land, that's Cap 127. That ordinance is, uh, they call it Cap 127. It, it, it was 1884. That is when that thing came about, reviewed in 1951. Currently, it's being reviewed again, and they are reviewing it. Uh, one of the con um, considerations is that people could marry at the age of 16. 
you know, it's being reviewed again. So if you have contributions, you can write it. And if you pass it on, we'll know how to channel it because it's important. Right? But for us Christians, another important thing is that it's a covenant relationship. It's not a contract agreement where if one person breaches the contract, then you abrogate the contract and say that, well, I told you that me, I like soup without pepper. Now you put pepper in soup from today onwards. In fact, I even gave you a chance, one to three times. Thrice have you put giving me pepper soup and I've had running stomach. So it's over. And then you take your phone and text three times. I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. As a master. Oh, people do it elsewhere. Oh, you haven't heard. Oh, the Islamic faith, you can test three times. If you say it three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. That is it. It's not, you are done. So when you see that he start, I divorce you, quickly put some meat pie or something in the mouth to, to hold his tongue in place before he goes too far. That is it. A covenant relationship is one that is unconditional love. I'm not agreeing to marry you for what I will get from you. And you are not marrying me for what you gain from me. I'm marrying you because I have made a commitment. I have made a commitment to love you, to hold you, to keep you, to cherish you, to nurture you for in sickness or in health, in riches or poverty, forsaking all others until death do expand. It's a covenant. And the scriptures teaches us in Ephesians 5 that our marriages should be likened to the relationship between Jesus and his church. Because Jesus is described as the bridegroom and the church is the bride. He says a man should love his wife as Christ loved the church. And we see the example there that Christ loved us unconditionally. If there was any condition, none of us would be here as Christians. Because he would never have gone to the cross. For all the things that we did, for the embarrassment, for the betrayal, for the, the denial, for the abuse, for everything that we did wrong against him, he still looked down on us and said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They know not what they do. That is what marriage is about. It's a big challenge. It's not easy to do. So the man loves the wife unconditionally as Christ loved the church. And the woman submits to the man, her own husband, not all men, as some cultures show. Her own husband. In the Lord, even there, there's a condition. So it is in the Lord that he sub, she submits, not in any crazy ideas. Excuse my language. Because if the person is espousing something that is unbiblical, please don't be like Sapphira, who loves her husband so much that they agree even unto death. Some agreements, you say, one, two, two cannot what, go anywhere unless they agreed. But some agreements, <laughs> where you are going to, you should watch. So it's in the Lord. So the lay woman has every good reason to say no. This one, scripture admonishes us to refrain from such acts. It is important for us to understand that because sometimes we have uh, run this submission thing to a certain uh, level that is, is crazy. Even forgetting that the verse 21 says, submit one to another as I, I call, because of the reverence you have for Christ. For me, when they talk about submission, for us men, it is even more challenging. Because our submissiveness should be like that of Christ. Who in Philippians 2, 6 downwards says that even though he himself was in the very nature of God, he did not consider it a thing to be cast. But he laid aside his power and glory. His ability to change stones to bread. He decided, I'm not going to do it. His ability to fly for him to be caught by angels. He said, no. I'm not going to take advantage of this. This is not why God gave me this. Some of these miracles are for unbelievers to believe, not for me to show off. You know, so his power and glory, the many times you could have moved, he told Peter, why are you cutting someone? You think I can't defend myself? I don't need vigilante to defend me. 
When I call my angels in heaven and they come down, they are in trouble. But that's not what I'm here for, to show off my strength and power. He put it aside and came in the form of man. And being found in the likeness of man, he humbled himself even unto death, death on the cross. It is for that reason that at the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven on earth and beneath the earth bows. So for us men, if you are going to love like Christ, it means we should be as humble as Christ going through this process. That when they mention us, then our wives say, oh, my Lord is coming. Because they know what sacrifice you have made. Someone says, said to the woman, if your husband tells you to throw yourself into Abu Shigota, do it. Because the scripture says, you should do it in everything for the, for the sake of those who don't know Abu Shigota. It's nothing, it's nothing to write home or about. A gutter that might be very filthy, smelly. Say, do it because the Lord says you should submit in everything. But you, the man who said that, according to scripture, throw yourself in first and make sure that nothing from that gutter touches the woman. Nothing, not a drop, nothing should touch the woman. She should not come out with even a smell on her. Because you are supposed to offer her to yourself radiant, a radiant offering with fragrance to yourself. Oh, God is gracious. He didn't even say do it for me. Say to yourself. And something we can benefit from and enjoy, we are not working at it. So it's important to understand this covenant matter. We can delve into it more another time. It's an unconditional kind of love. So this question of, oh, he stopped doing this, so I can't marry again. She stopped doing that, so I can't marry again. She stopped cooking. I can't marry. Before you got married, who was cooking? Who was cooking for? I, for years, I was cooking for myself. So if it happens that, oh, and it shouldn't even happen. Sometimes you should just go and do it and do the things that you, you like and encourage your wife to like what you like. But if you do it, what's the big deal? So she stopped cooking. So the marriage should end. It's not good enough. You have to go to the root cause of why she has stopped cooking. Maybe you said something. Maybe you've done something like that. To heal rather than to become legalistic about it. Let's move on. That point was important. That's why I belabored it on it a bit. It's also expressed by joining together. It is not done in Konakwana. You don't go and hide and do it. It's public. I often hear people telling me, oh, Pastor Abidi, I don't want my wedding. I don't want people to come. I don't want to. I just want five. I said, oh, yeah, you can come and invite, um, bring three people to come and sign. But as for the people who will come, I can't tell. He said, no, I don't want people to come there. I said, the law says it should be a public thing. You cannot refuse anybody to witness your marriage. You can refuse people to your reception. You get the difference? That is why there is always a break and aftermath. So when you are working, you can choose that you don't announce the reception. When they ask where is the reception, he said that, you see, the reception is at one o'clock. Those of you who know, you know. <laughs> but you can't refuse people. Any stranger passing by has a right to say, I want to see the face of these two people who are getting married. In case one of them is my son's wife. <laughs> the lady is my son's wife. Or is my daughter's husband. They have a right. That is why it's published for three weeks. So, we have to understand that it's expressed by joining together. There must be a singular act of process of joining together. And it goes through a ceremony. It can be very short. And here I want to say that this question of people saying weddings are expensive, what have you, it's up to you. It's what you want. You can come here. People come with two witnesses here, two witnesses. They come to the office and sign. If you choose to make your wedding a memorable thing in another form, it's your choice. It's just your choice. There are Festivities in scripture that we see that it was great, it was elaborate, it was beautiful. 
Some of the other ceremonies were brief and short. It is simply your choice. It is not an imposition by anyone. It is only the traditional marriage that when you go, they give you a list. The church does not give anybody a list. Do we? No. So the wedding cakes are not part of the what is biblical marriage. The dress is not part of the biblical marriage. The limousine is not part of the biblical marriage. It's not in scripture. It's your choice. And don't say that if somebody wants to do that, he has done anything wrong. Some people want to enjoy and remember their day. And they plan and they pay for it. My problem is with those who can pay for it and they go and take loans from their friends. One in the choir, one from a deacon, one from a pastor. And after the whole wedding, they come to church. Anytime Osofu thinks, he's thinking of his death. And in no time, they begin to decide that they are going to another church. Because their debtors are always looking out for them when they come to church. That is where the problem is. And it's a lesson we have to learn from the beginning of marriage because it's going to continue on and on throughout the marriage that your children's friends and peers will be riding in cars that you may not have to school. They may be eating snacks that you cannot provide for your children. They may be doing things, uh, wearing kambus. I remember my son told me they wanted canvas shoes. My wife went shopping for all of them. They got, they came here, he said he didn't get his. The one day at Osu, he said, Daddy, stop, 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 stop. There's a shop here. When we went in, he showed me, he said, this is the one. And look, it was Timberland, 850 cities. And at that time, we were using a small car, Nizam Mark. The tires were 200 cities each. <laughs> we had just bought four. So when I got back into Inanna, the shoes are nice. I myself, I wish I had some. But if I buy them for you and you put your feet and it will go zoom and take you to rich school, then I know it's worth it. Then he started laughing. <laughs> he gave up on it. And I showed him, I deliberately stopped by a vulcanizer and asked for a size cost of a tie. And when they told him, I said, did you hear that? <laughs> he appreciated it. We have to be truthful to our children. That we can't, we, it doesn't make you less of a human being. Live within your means. One day you may be able to afford it. Your daddy couldn't afford it. But you may be able to afford it for your children. And it is not wrong if you can afford something good for your children. It is not wrong. You know. So it's important for us to make the wedding holy. Make it something that satisfies the couple, not other parties, stakeholders, who later on will come and uh, manipulate because uh, he who pays the piper calls for the tune. It should be their own burden, their choice. And they should do it in a way that it should be memorable. So that when one day one of them packs, their gunner must go back. Then the other looks at the wedding pictures, remembers and says, no, we can't, we can't let go. We can't let go. It was such a wonderful day. This was a beautiful occasion. We had something together. Something good. We can't let this thing go. Let's work at it. So it's up to them. It should be holy and honorable. When he says it should be holy and honorable, it requires all of us to respect the relationship. It requires the couple themselves to honor the relationship. Not to abuse it spiritually or through fornication, infidelity, and that kind of thing. Please, when people marry, especially when they are young, because you've been chatting and hugging and doing those things, when you find a young couple, don't go and just smack the back of the lady like your sister, uh, your small sister. That is somebody's wife. Sometimes I see newly married there, and then the young man is there and some girls have crowded on around him. They are doing something on the internet or something. And then this person they, they say, hey, this is somebody's husband, do you know that? Then they will laugh. But I'm telling them something really serious. That is somebody's husband. You have to start respecting it at that early age. 
That is somebody's husband. If people start touching your husband in a certain form, a certain way, you will not be happy about it. It should be holy. It should be honorable. Somebody's marriage almost broke up because when the wife's brothers come to visit, they go and sit on their marital bed and watch TV. And the man talked, talked, talked. The woman did not do it. He was angry. But I begged him to consider. Why is it? Why, why is the TV in the bedroom? So we are developing the house, but we haven't got space elsewhere. And I said, then please, you try and make provision. If it's movable, when they come around, move it. Because you yourself agree, you don't want them lying on your matrimonial bed. Sometimes with wisdom, we'll be able to conduct our affairs and help others also honor our marriages. Because if everybody comes to your house, and you invite them into the bedroom. Oh, come in, come in, sit down. You eat there, you do everything there. You are losing that dignity, that married bed. When they say the married bed should not be defiled, it's not just the wooden structure and the mattress, but it stands for that union where the two of you express your intimate love together. There should be some respect and privacy for it. More so, because it is God who has put, put it together. It is indissoluble. You cannot dissolve it during the joint lives of the two parties. He says, it's until death does part. This is a bit difficult for people. So what are you talking about? Do you know the statistics? It's going on everywhere. It's happening. Look, this guy, your hair is gray. Obviously, you have come from ancient history. As for marriage, in fact, some of our songs says that if you are afraid of breaking your marriage, then you are not going to have a good marriage. It's like you must threaten the partner that I will leave you, then <laughs> they will stay there. If you do this again, you come and find me now, so then we begin to think about it. But that is not so. God designed it to last until we part. In the same way that you and I agree that we want Jesus to hold on to us and stay with us until we die. Is there anybody here who thinks Jesus should depart from him, should give him up because he has sinned, he has failed, he has stopped coming to church, he has stopped, um, um, he's been doing something wrong. Is there anyone here? Nobody can say that. We are willing and we are grateful and we are so happy that God will constantly look upon us with mercy and, and look upon us graciously even when we have heard and open his arms and take us back in. It is that marriage that we are talking about. That's the marriage that shines. It's not the one that the statistics is talking about. This is not economic thing that you see the majority is here. It is not politics. It is God's institution. And he says, this is how I want it to be. So be the exception. Because you will shine only when you are the exception. And you will experience the truth and the joy in that marriage only when you stick to God's word. I remember my art teacher telling me something. He says, uh, they were doing things in the class and I was somewhere else. And he called me and said, why are you there? I said, I'm trying to find out something. Then he said, that's good. Because if you follow the crowd, you end up where the crowd ends. But if you go your own path, you are likely to discover something the rest of the crowd never discovered. And I've never forgotten about it. Dare to think outside the box. Decide that Christ's way is different. And Jesus himself described it as a narrow path. Straight. It is narrow, but it is straight. It's not crooked. It does not get you confused and going to um, cool the sacks and then portals. It is straight, but it is narrow. It is narrow so that you don't have room to swing to the left or the right. You set your face like a flint. That is God. We better stick to him. The straight path and we begin to enjoy the marriage as he designed it to be. So let's not say everybody deserves it. Oh, but the law permits it. That law was made by man. God said that you keep following the traditions of men, the laws of men. You see, when the minister is declaring a man, husband and wife, he says this, 
according to the powers vested in me by the sovereign state of the Republic of Ghana as a marriage officer and as a minister ordained by the God, I hereby declare you as husband and wife. And what God has put together, let no man put asunder. The man is standing on two legs. One is what? The sovereign state of Ghana. That is the laws in Cap 127. The other is scripture. That which we are talking about now, what the scripture teaches. If you go and marry at the registered general, this part does not concern them. They do not care whether you are a Christian and the person is a Muslim. They do not care whether uh, 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 you believe in God or not. So long as you want it, they will explain to you the conditions of the vows. And if you do break the vows by marrying another person, when this one has not been dissolved, then you are liable for what they call bigamy. You can go to jail for between three months and seven years. Are you away? Ah, that's what the law says. So the legal aspect, that Cap 127 as aspect, stipulates the regulations of the land concerning marriage. And it talks about age, it talks about the place that you can marry. It's not every place you can marry you. It talks about the, who can marry you. It's not every reverend minister who can marry you. Are you aware of that? It must be licensed and gazetted. It talks about, um, uh, what do you call it? The day you can marry. You can't marry any day. I used to tell people, you can't marry on my birthday because it was Republic Day. Now, they've not left. <laughs> I'm going to the Supreme Court. Don't, don't tell anybody. I probably will end up in the Supreme Court to claim my holiday back. <laughs> I've enjoyed it all my life. right? But you can't marry on, on Christmas Day. You can't marry on Easter holiday. Elder, what do they call it? You can't marry on that day. Because there are statutory public holidays. And I know somebody saying, oh, Osofo, you are not aware of the facts. I know somebody who married on Christmas Day. He was even a pastor's son or daughter. I know it. you are going to say that. And truly, you saw the ceremony on the 25th December. But did you see the marriage certificate? Many people would do that. They signed the thing two days before or a day before to make it legitimate. If they did really sign it on the 25th of December, it is now um, void. You see, the, mo the most, you say, oh, but nobody will get to know. Do you know the person who shouldn't know? The person who shouldn't get to know that is the, the husband and the wife themselves. Because those two people, the day they want to break the marriage, one of them wants to be. It's, it's so easy. You tell the lawyer, the marriage will be married on the 25th. <laughs> <laughs> Quick solution to their problem. When, when people are hurting and they are angry and they want to destroy, you'll be amazed how diabolical they can be. The thing that you and them kept a secret all your lives that e -e, we made a mistake and married on Saturday public holiday. Let's keep quiet. That day, they want to break the marriage and you said, no, you won't go. You won't go. You won't go. I said, lawyer, don't worry. I'll show you how. That's the day. The very person who you are in the relationship with, but they know. So why do you want to? So they regulate it. The law regulates it. That is why we have the premarital counseling classes on the 2nd of August. Oh, coincidentally, it will happen to be my wedding, our wedding anniversary. We start the premarital counseling classes all over in Calvary Baptist Church. It's a Monday, a Friday, right? A Monday, a Monday, a Monday. And our first day is orientation. We'll make it an open house so that all people, parents, anybody can come because that is when we talk about these things. And you begin to understand. Because sometimes we have the problem with the parents, not even the children. They sit in the class, they come to understand. But somewhere along the line, a parent will come and say, oh, we want the wedding this day because my brother and this one are coming from U.S. And we have to have it. They say, madam, then we should have come earlier because we have only two weeks. We cannot publish bans three times. The law says we should publish it three times. They say, it doesn't matter. You publish it too. We like it like that. <laughs> it's not what you like, it's the law. And that's why I say you should be careful. Because sometimes you have a minister, I've had a, a head of a church call me aside and say, Osofo, are you saying you can't do, oh, Osofo, how? So what about those who worship on Saturdays? 
if the Lord says you should publish it on Sunday. So what about Wednesday prayer meeting? Publish it then. I said, no. The Lord says Sunday before the congregation. So, but it's seven day people, what about? I said, I'm not seven day. So I don't know what they do. And I see clearly in the Lord. Are you getting it? So parents themselves need to know these things. That's why this year we are coming open so that you can ask any questions. So the open forum, I invite all of you here to that open forum on 2nd August uh, when we are doing orientation for as many as want to go through the premarital process. And then you'll be able to understand um, what the procedures are. Now, let me go on to tell us three things that God set out to for, for marriages, the purposes for which he set up marriages. We all know the first one is to replenish the earth. Eh? Some people are working very hard at that one. Even before they get married, they started. You know, but you and I all want to live with our father and mother. So why are you doing that to somebody? Then you tell him, your daddy, who is my daddy? He said, don't worry, one day you will know. Oh, if at your age somebody has been telling you that one day you know your father, would you have been happy? Sometimes you should be very careful what you do to children. So if you can, if you are young, you are not going to get my, think of it. That I would, if it happened to me, I didn't like it. I don't want my child to go through one day you will know who your father is. So every time he's in the shopping mall and he sees any man whose head shape is like his, he wonders, is this the one? Or I must wait for another who will come. <laughs> we have to be very careful. The, the, the psychological effect of these things on children, their performance in school and all that. And it's somebody's decision that they did it flimsy, in a flimsy manner. So it's important. Yes, we must replenish the earth within the context of marriage. Even in our tradition, we uphold it. That if you have sex outside marriage, it is an abomination. In our tradition, is that not true? I don't know of any African tradition that they allow that you can just be having sex with my daughter and when you are ready, come and marry, him, marry her. No. You know, so the marriage, having children, is in the context of marriage. And then you look at the scriptures in Malachi 2. It says, in raising up a godly seed, God's real interest is a godly offspring, not just numbers. It's children who become like him. Because he said, I made you in my image. In my own image did I make you. Go and multiply. Multiply what? How I've made you. How have I made you? In my image. What is God's image like? When he said, what is God like? He's love. He's kind. He's gentle. He's peaceful. He's faithful. He's self control those attributes are what we see in Galatians, talking about the fruits of the Spirit. That is fruit of the Holy Spirit. So you is expecting us to raise children, to grow up and come to know God, disciple them, so that they will in turn be able to bear fruit Then they are in God's image. That's the multiplication. If I give you tangerine and I say multiply it and you bring me obwasi anka, you have not multiplied it. You've just gone to bring some other species of orange. I expect you to propagate the seed and come with this same kind. And that is God's thought that will bring him a godly offspring. And our marriages should illustrate Christ's union to the world. It is also for man's happiness. It's important. When they say man, everybody thinks of males. In fact, Adam does not mean male. You read uh, Genesis 2, uh, 5, 1 and 2. It says, and God made the male and female, that, that genealogy. And he says, and he called them Adam. When you look at down, every time you see Adam in your Bible, you see asterisk. Look at the footnote. It says, a Hebrew word, the Hebrew word for what? Mankind, humankind. That's the meaning of Adam. So a woman is not an afterthought to God. The woman was right there created. God didn't breathe his spirit again after breathing into Adam. He just separated the female from the male and brought it back. It is for that reason that Adam recognized her amongst all of God's creation that he had been naming one by one and found them helpful but didn't find them as suitable helpers. 
this one alone, he looked and said, aha, this is bone of my bone. You could tell the genetic strain. This is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. So she did a final naming ceremony. She shall be called woman. And she he explained the meaning. For she was taken out of man. My brother, if you are not married here, and you see a lady, and you do not value the person the way you value yourself. You think you are doing the person a favor. You think you are pitying the person. And that's why you are marrying them. You are making a big mistake. The marriage will definitely suffer because you are not valuing the person as yourself. So that scripture in Ephesians 5 that you love your wife as yourself, you know, it talks about cherishing, cleaning, washing the wife with water and the word and all that. At the end, what does he say? He said that so for no one hates his own body. You get it? So the, 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 that's the consistency of scripture. So Adam recognized that this is my body. It's only when you, you respect the person like yourself, you love the person like yourself, you honor the person that, like yourself, that you constantly sustain the relationship. Sometimes you can see clearly. You see some people, their wives look like, is that a house help? They start asking. They are always clothed for their wives are not. Every, every good thing in the family should come to them. Wives don't benefit from it. Sometimes even their children don't look like this rich man's children. But if your wife's body is like yourself, then wherever she is, when somebody sees the wife and you are a rich man, she said, hey, this woman looks like a rich man's wife. Then when they mention your name, so no wonder. It's the same way if you are a spiritual man. They should, ah, this woman is a Jesus God's presence. And who is the husband? Ah, no wonder. Because you are nurturing the person with the word like yourself, spiritually, emotionally, physically. You are doing everything just like yourself. So that together, because scripture says that we are, you are joint us. Eh? When it comes to 1 Peter 3, verse 7, it says, do that. Consider your wife. Consider, you know, your wife. Treat your wife with honor and respect so that your prayers may not be hindered. But it says there that because you are joint heirs, you are sharing. God is taking you together, considering that both of you are one. In fact, Jesus made it so clear. He said, they are no longer two. You are telling me, can they separate? How do you separate something that is one? He said, they are no longer two. They are one. And that is how we should see it. So, it is for our happiness that through this interaction, this cause, we fulfill each other, we make each other happy as companions. And we definitely also give each other sexual fulfillment. That sexual fulfillment is not only physical, which we must, because the Bible says your body no longer belongs to you, but to your wife, that when you get married, and your husband, and your husband, vice versa. But it also teaches us that we should make each other feel like a man and a woman. That is the one that when you are not married, you can begin to practice, not the physical one. As if the gentleman who wants to marry you, anytime you are around him, he makes you really feel like a woman, a queen. Ask if the woman makes you feel like a man. If they start shouting on you, if they start sampling, why did I send you a credit and didn't call me? I don't like that nonsense. Then, you know that the chop money comes to the same way they are going to shout on you. But I send you the credit. I send you the credit. How long did you speak to me? Just 30 seconds. Who, who were you speaking to? Small five cities credit. You are shouting on somebody's daughter. Okay. That's where you have the sexual woman. So if you are not married, physical part is for marriage. But this part you can begin to practice and learn. By the way you speak, by the way you bear the fruit to each other. And it also helps us prevent um, fornication. Essentially, these things should happen for marriage to take place. A couple should exchange vows before God. A couple must affirm each other or seal their vows with a token. And then the marriage register is signed. This does not negate customary marriage as people think that they are married. Please, I want to hit on that note. Otherwise, it won't be safe to live here. Customary marriage is not an engagement. It is marriage, respected by God, 
respected by the law, respected by the church. If the church did not respect customary marriage, why is it that if you want to marry somebody who is customary married to another person, we don't permit it? We don't because the person is married. So if you are married to three people customarily and you come, that you are coming to do ordinance wedding with one, we don't because we respect the fact that you are married to three people. And God says, come just as you are. You can come, you can come to church and worship God. It will make you less of a Christian. When you didn't know the time of ignorance, God says he winked. But now that you've come, please honor all of them. So it's marriage. Engagement in our custom is the knocking. When you go and knock, you have opportunity to back out. Because you are now finding out if I can take this man or this woman. And they'll say, okay, we'll give you, we'll give you time. Um, give us time, come back for two, two, two weeks for uh, an answer. And they go and do investigation and say, okay, we have agreed. When are you going to come? Yes, a list. Then you also say, okay, I'm going to prepare. Give me three months. So that time you are betrothed, but you are not married. And during that time, the family will respect the fact that they won't allow some boy to go on a weekend with a girl that you have come to knock and ask their hands for. If they do that, you can call, go to the chief traditionally and tell the chief that the people have abused your rights. And sometimes they have to comp they compensate people. So let's get the difference. Marriage is marriage traditionally. The difference is that traditional marriage permits you to marry more than one, 10, 15, 20. That is polygamous. And that Christ, the scriptures do not accept because they let each man have their own wife and let each woman have her own husband. That is also accepted under the ordinance law that one man, one wife. That is why the registered general permits the church to officiate marriages on its behalf because the ingredients of the ordinance law are all captured in the scriptures. Are, are we getting it? But then the Christians, okay, then what's wrong? I can go to the registered general and just sign. Why is it that this church, church, I don't need? You can do that. But let me tell you what will happen. Somebody did that. I explained and explained. I said, okay, pastor, you know what? We are going to have it in an open garden. I said, that place is not registered. He said, it doesn't matter. We like it. So we bring the registered general. And I said, okay, if that's your choice. He said, but I want you to be there to do the ceremony. I said, I can do it. But I won't be the one who will be officiating. He said, no, we want you to go to capture it with the video. He said, I can do that, but I won't be the one who will be conducting your vows. He said, it doesn't matter. They went ahead. The registered general was there. When we finished, and they, they went through exchanging the vows like everybody does, and all of it was captured, then the registered general said, have you finished? I said, yes. He said, come. Then he took them to the table. He said, this, uh, I heard, when mm, you mm, mm. say it after me. So they said vows. Those are the vows that are being, is being captured in the register as law. The one this man was conducting. Of course, God will hear them when I prayed with them that they indeed want to marry. But when the man finished, he gave them the certificate. Two weeks after the honeymoon, they came, oh, pastor, why? Why what? See, our certificate, the man who signed it is a Muslim. I said, the registered general, they are public servants. They are not Christians. So many people work there. Oh, pastor, you didn't explain it like that to me. So sometimes that's why I talk plain to you. I've tried to explain. Uh, still, they say you don't explain, explain it enough. <laughs> they say still you don't explain it enough. Please, it's important that we go through that process in order to be able to do it. Scripture finally says that if you want to marry, you must be independent of your everybody. And then you cleave to your wife and the two of you shall become one. So there are three things you do. You leave, you cleave, and you become one flesh. All I will say about that is that if you are a mango fruit on a mango tree, you remain a mango fruit until the day that you are detached, you fall on the soil, you drink of your own rain, you bask in your own God's sunshine, you germinate and become a tree. Then you also become a tree. So long as you are not detached, you will never become a mango tree. A word to the wise is in the north.
Father, I thank you for the little you have shared this morning. But I know your Holy Spirit you send us will lead us into all truths, will convict us of what is right and wrong. You comfort us. You encourage us. You be the one who will counsel us. Continue your work in your people and all of us to bring glory into your name and make us also be the light and shine, O oh Lord, that our families will become a shining example to the world. Amen.